If you have a copy of God's Word, would you please turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through chapter 2, verse 3. Pastor Doug last week started us on our message uh, series that we continue through today. And as we think of what he had talked about Jesus Christ, the hope of our salvation, we continue on looking in 1 Peter. And it made me think as I got a chance to listen to Pastor Doug's message this week, since we weren't here last Sunday, that for myself and others that come together and profess the truth of God's word, we look at it, asking God to enlighten our hearts to the truth of it, It's always there, the truth. That never leaves. But sometimes do we understand what we call the application of that word? How it applies not only to the time that it was written, but to us today. And that, for anybody that is leading a time of fellowship in the word, can be a struggle. Are we really seeing that application? I got a letter this week. We got a letter this week, uh, my wife and I. And it came from an organization called Legionnaire Ministries, the Teaching Fellowship of R.C. Sproul. And basically what it is is a letter asking for a contribution because we have done things with this ministry before. But I found it very interesting that this letter was centered on the book of 1st and 2nd Peter, specifically 1st Peter. And I would like to read you part of what this letter said. We're talking application. We're talking application of 1 Peter. Everything is new again. Excuse me, let me start over. Everything old is new again. That idea came up again recently when we were planning Legionnaire Ministries' future gospel outreach. The Legionnaire teacher fellows and I were talking about such as the Obergefell decision that imposed gay marriage on the United States. In our discussion, one of our teaching fellows, Dr. Sinclair Ferguson, reminded us that we can learn the nature of Christian living in a post-Christian world from the perspective of how Christians live in a pre-Christian world. He was talking about the Apostle Peter who wrote to Christians in an ancient Rome world to teach them how to honor God in a society that did not understand and even hated the Christian faith. What we're seeing in our post-Christian society is new to us, but it's really an old story. As it becomes less socially acceptable to live our scriptures teaching We're facing challenges like these that confront the first Christians, social ostracism, the government's contempt, the reality that non-believers just don't understand our values. Like the first Christians, we're told that we can believe whatever we want as long as we keep it to ourselves. But we can't keep the Christian faith to ourselves. In fact, Peter assumes our lives 
will be so distinctive that non-Christians will ask us about our hope. Peter calls us not to adopt a siege mentality or to withdraw from society so as to avoid suffering. In fact, he tells us, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. You should expect suffering for our faith and be ready for it. How does Peter prepare us for the trial that is sure to come? He reminds us our calling and, our, and proclaims the person and work of Christ in chapters 1 through 2. He tells us the love of others and rejoice that we share Jesus' suffering, 3 and 4. He calls church leaders to shepherd people in the faith and build them up in Christ, chapter 5. In other words, Peter provides answers for suffering Christians. He guards them in the truth of Christ and applies it to their circumstances. If we understand what is being said in 1 Peter, we realize that even though the time was different, we are experiencing basically the same thing as these exiles that Peter has been writing to. Application, it's all through 1 Peter. We can take and understand it knowing that we may be experiencing very close to the same thing today. Yes, we can relate being, to being those exiles. Our scripture for today is verses 13 through 2, 3. I would like to read those. 1 Peter, verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passion of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially, according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, though the living and abiding word, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flowers of grass. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, falls, 
but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by, by it you may grow in your salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. God bless his re- word and the reading of it. Starting in verse 13, we see that we have a great verse of transition and a call to action. What I read said, prepare your minds for action. In the King James and some of the other uh, translations, the word actually is, gird up your loins for your mind. As I listened to Pastor Doug's message last week, and I have been studying, and what we have heard and known about Peter, I'm getting more of a flavor for his personality. You know, he was a real person. He was on this earth. He experienced the things that we did. He was gifted by God to tell others of what Christ had done in his life. But he was a man. And in this statement where he said, gird up your loins, what he's, he's telling is the garb of the day that kind of, uh, what would you call it? Bathrobe type look, long to the ground. He said, take that, pull it up around your waist, maybe even cinch it up so it's out of your way so that you're prepared for whatever comes along. That's what we're supposed to do with our mind. That's the word he said to us. We might think, Fasten your safety belts. And I'm not talking about in the minivan so that the light goes out. I'm talking top gun. You're on the aircraft carrier. You're going to go to zero to 150 in less than two seconds. Hold on. Be equipped. Roll up your sleeves. Battle stations. That's what he's calling us to do. But he's not leaving it just there. He's also telling us to be sober-minded not only free from alcohol or drugs, that those, of those things that might change and alter how we think, but he's also telling us to be ready, to be sober-minded, to free ourselves also from other intoxicating things. Intoxicating things that today, and I just wrote down a few of them, career, possessions, recreation, reputation, friendships, authority, personal appearance, all of those things that can take us away from focusing on what he's going to be talking about, what he wants to tell us about holiness. Remove them. Be ready for what we're going to hear. And lastly, he said, focus on the hope, the the grace that is coming, that Jesus Christ, the most important thing in a Christian's life, Jesus Christ is coming back for each one that professes him and Lord and Savior. He gave us that promise, and we can make sure and bank on it. Money-back guarantee that it will happen, and he said, I shall be back. I shall come for you again. Peter wants us to understand what he's talking about, needs our full attention. 
So what does he say? First of all, we see that it, the holiness of children of the Father. There's the holiness of the children of the Father. And we see this is in verses 14 through 17. And I want to read them again. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. We see a relationship between children and a father. Peter says, Christians are obedient children. But we have to understand how we would be obedient children. Is that in our nature, that we would seek after a holy father? Absolutely not. Unless God calls us, unless he pursues us, like we see that he did for his own people Israel, we will not follow him, we will not seek after him, we will want nothing to do with him. It is he that draws us to himself. He made the heart change in us so that we choose and have the ability to put off the things that Paul calls passions of our former ignorance. When we lived apart from God's word, we had those desires that were far from God. Only through the power of a changed heart are we able to say they are not part of us anymore. But we also must remember, even though we might have victories in our lives and put those passions behind us, they do not leave because we're still in this world. They're still here. We must be on guard. Remember what I said about rolling up your sleeves. Fasten your seatbelts. Be prepared. That's the call that Peter has given us if we're truly to be holy. Obedient children. But really, we are children of obedience. See, obedient children can still do things that are right, but the motive isn't right. Even in religions that are so far away from God himself, there might be great obedience from the children, but they're not children of obedience because children of obedience have had a changed heart. They seek after their father's nature out of love, adoration, respect. All of those things that have now come to that new heart. But Paul then quotes scripture and says, We have to understand that at the center of everything that we do, we must be holy, for our Father is holy. A holy Father pursues us. We've heard that for years. Be holy, for I am holy. And we, I believe, if we're honest, we struggle with that. What does that really mean? Well, this is a, a callback from Old Testament Scripture, which is 11 Verse 44. 
Did I say Leviticus? So then I said to myself, I'm going to go back and look at Leviticus 11.44. I know that this is going to sound like a paid political advertisement, but I went to a Bible that I want to use next for my study, which I got from Legionnaire Ministries, which is the Reformed Study Bible. I went to page 172, and there might be some people here today that use this Bible. I'm just starting to use it. But I looked up this specific piece of scripture that said, Be holy, for I, your God, am holy. And on that page, there's a section that says, The holiness of God. And I read it. And it helped me to understand what it means to be holy, for our God is holy. If you hear nothing else from me today, if I lose you along the way, please stay as we look at what it means to be holy as the Father that we serve is holy. It says, the holiness of God. Two virtues assigned to God, greatness and goodness, may be captured by one biblical word, holy. When we speak of God's holiness, we are accustomed to associating it with almost exclusively, exclusively with purity and righteousness of God. Surely the idea of holiness contains these virtues, but they are not the primary meaning of holiness. The biblical word holy has two distinct meanings. The primary meaning is apartness or otherness. When we say that God is holy, we call attention to the profound difference between him and all of creatures. It refers to God's transcendent majesty, his superiority, by the virtue of which he is worthy of our honor, reverence, adoration, and worship. He is other or different from us in his glory. When the Bible speaks of holy objects or holy people or holy time, it refers to things that have been set apart, consecrated, or made different by the touch of God upon them. The ground where Moses stood near the burning bush was holy ground because God was present there in a special way. It was the nearness of the divine that made the ordinary suddenly extraordinary and the common uncommon. Apartness. We're striving after the holiness of this Father. It is the apartness that we must be. We've heard many times, hopefully, we're in this world, but we're not part of this world. We are apart from it. We should be that much different because of what God has done in our hearts. That holiness, that apartness, is part of his children. But it also says, the secondary meaning of holy refers to God's pure and righteous action. God does what is right. He never does what is wrong. 
God always acts in a righteous manner because of his, na his nature is holy. Thus we can distinguish between the internal righteousness of God, his holy nature, and the external righteousness of God, his actions. Because God is holy, he is both great and good. There is no evil mixed in with his goodness. When we are called to be holy, it does not mean that we share in God's divine majesty, but we, that we are to be different from our normal, fallen sinfulness. We are called to mirror and reflect the moral character and activity of God. We are to Im imitate his goodness. We are to act, to think, to react, respond as God would out of the nature that he is. That can only happen when we are seeking after the true nature of who he is in our own hearts and lives. There are many examples. I'd like to give you one to look up. If you'd like to share it, I'll give it to you after the service. It's from Deut Deuteronomy. How much God calls on holiness. And lastly, in our purity of being holy children of a holy father, we have verse 17. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Peter points us to the reverent fear of the Father. A reverent fear of the Father. I know that one of the things when giving a message is that we use examples. And we can use many different types, whether it's past, present, ourselves, somebody else. Many times I would rather use a biblical example than something today. I would like to use Peter himself as an example of this reverent fear. In Luke 5, we see that Jesus has just spoken to a great multitude of people. He has decided to get into a boat so that he can continue to speak to them. That boat is Peter's. In conversation with Peter, Jesus says, how was your fishing last night? He said, we didn't catch a thing. He said, go out again and put down your net. And the net was so full that not only that boat, but another boat alongside them could not hold it. Peter was not amazed by the catch. I'm sure that got his attention. Peter wasn't counting dollars and saying, this is really going to put our bottom line for this week in the black. No. What he said to Jesus was profound, and it showed his fear and reverence. He said to him, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He was so humbled by the majesty and the power of God that all he could relate to was his own sin. That's what we see 
and understand when we look at how, Jesus, how God himself judges, we come up very short. But it also should lead us to great holiness in our own personal life. Because it says, each person will give an account for their deeds. That means on the last day that every Christian will stand before God in judgment. We do not fear the judgment because we, we have the righteousness of Christ. But do we want to have to explain those foolish deeds that we did in our ignorance when we were in repentance? Rebellion to the same God that saved us? I don't think so. I would pray that that would be heart-changing for each one of us. We also see the holiness of redeemed believers. Verses 18 through 21. And I read again. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Holiness of redeemed believers. So the question is, how can we as sinners be drawn to the holiness of God? The answer, redemption. Unless God has made us his we could not gain his holiness or even want it. The holiness of the redeemed believers is we have been set apart from all of mankind. That apartness again. And it comes through the work of Christ himself. And Peter wants us to understand how this came about. What does he say? What did we just sing in one of our songs? That ransom? We were those that were owned by somebody else. We were so far from the will of God and a price had to be paid to ransom us away. What was that price? The life of Jesus Christ himself. Peter tells us, that it would not be anything that would be perishable. It would not have of any monetary value or earthly value, silver, gold. It would not do. It had to be the precious blood of Christ himself. God would use his son to pay that ransom to bring us to himself. Only the blood of Jesus, the spotless lamb, would take care of that ransom. But not only do we see that it paid the ransom to make us one with God, but it also, in this payment of blood, would also show the holiness of the redeemed in our lives. Scripture again talks about this 
act of sanctification where we are drawn closer to God, where we resemble him more. And that blood also paid the price for our consciences and are cleaned by them. Hebrews 9, 14. Through Christ's blood, we gain bold access to God in worship and prayer. Hebrews 10, 19. We are progressively cleansed from more and more sin. 1 John 1, 7 and Revelation 1, verse 5. We are able to conquer the accuser of the brethren. Revelation 12, 11. We are rescued out of a sinful way of life, 1 Peter 1.19, all through the precious blood of Christ. But we not only believe in him, but we believe through him. We believe in the work that he has done, but we believe through him. Paul, and I didn't misspeak myself, the Apostle Paul speaks of this as he talks about servants of the word, himself, Apollos, and others that would proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. Through Christ himself comes the power to change hearts and lives. Those who came to believe professed the Lord Jesus himself, who by his spirit is the agent of our salvation. There again, I use Peter as an example. Peter lived at that time and had fellowship with Christ himself. We do not, but Christ said that he would send his spirit to live in us, to witness through us of him. But Peter knew firsthand. He knew that Christ that would pray for him that his faith would be strengthened. Peter knew of the Christ that found it so important that he be again lifted up, that his faith be reassured that on that first Easter morning specifically went to him and said, I am here with you today. And Peter believed Peter has shown us the holiness of children of the Father. Be holy, for your Father is holy. And the holiness of redeemed believers in and through the ransom payment that came through the shed blood of Jesus. And last, holiness through the word of truth. Verses 20 through, verse 22 through chapter 2, verse 3, as I read. Having purified your souls by the obedience to the truth of a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, though the living, through the living and the abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that has been preached to you. So put away all malice, 
all deceit, hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up in salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. The call, the command, the direction is given. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. We are to love earnestly one another from a pure heart. Well, how can this come about? Think about the audience that Peter is writing to at that time. Like Pastor Doug said last week, mostly Gentiles were made up in this uh, church and in this area. But there were Jews. There were others there. For years have hated each other, had nothing to do with each other. All of the past sins that they had committed against each other were to be put behind them and they were to love one another. We not, might not be that diverse of a group in this room, but we are. We are diverse to whatever degree, whether it's through age, ethnical background, you name it. But we are diverse. And anytime people come together, it can be hard to love each other. But that's the command. That's what we're told has to happen. So how can that happen? The love that binds the redeemed flows from the love of the Redeemer. A new heart must replace the old. Peter shows there is only one way, one way that this could come about, and that is through the Word of God. Christian's, uh, Christian love is born as Christians are born. Though the truth, through the truth of the gospel, the power to change hearts comes from the gospel message. The power to be able to love one another is in God's word. P Peter wants us to understand that also all things will pass away. Everything in this life, our life, Everything in this world will pass away, but the word of God will remain forever. Peter says that we come from perishable seed, but the word of God is imperishable, lasting forever. And he uses the analogy of mankind going from one generation to the next, as we are uh, live and die, it continues on, but we're a perishable seed. We do not last. The human race might continue, but we as individuals do not last. But God's word does not pass away. It is imperishable. But in God's word, it shows how the perishable seed of man has been changed by the imperishable word of God. I'd like to give you two examples. Abraham and Sarah, both up in years, were promised a son by God himself. And when that promise came to them, they laughed. They did not believe. They said, how can this happen in our age? 
And what did God say back to them? Is any word too difficult for God? Your seed, your imperishable seed, is not too great of a task for my word. The word that is so powerful that it just spoke all of creation into existence. The infallible word of God that lives on, that we cherish more and more as we understand and know it greater. I'm sure that we've all come in contact with people that say, you can't believe the word of God. It's been handed down. It must be changed so many times. And not to be, not to be, I don't like the word ignorant, but I'm going to say not to be ignorant. I would like to say to them, but challenging. I'd like to say challenging them. Have you ever read it? Have you ever studied it? Has your life and heart ever been changed by it? You will see that it continues to amaze us at its truth. The other example is Mary herself when she was told that she would have the birth of the Son of God. She did not doubt. She was amazed. She questioned and said, how can that be? She did not understand. But God's messenger, Gabriel, said back to her the same words, for no word is impossible with God. And she trusted God. That's the power of the word of God. The word of God changes hearts and lives and minds to the point that Peter says, only because of the word of God working in us can we look at others and that have those thoughts of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. They're all removed. And lastly, Peter says that we should strive and seek after the word of God like an infant for that pure milk. Now let's not be confused with other times in God's word where Paul would admonish people and say, you are still on milk when you should be on solid food, the meat. That's not what he's saying. That's not what Peter is saying. He's saying the word of God is that perfect food to nourish us like that that comes to a baby. I know at our house, we're not large milk drinkers, but we can't come to buy a half a gallon of milk because it costs almost the same as a gallon. So we buy a gallon, and after that due date, we give it the smell test. And if we smell it, at least if I smell it, and I don't think that it smells right, I'm done. That milk's going out. My wife is a little more bold. She then goes to the taste test. <laughs> I don't. And in all of that, our children look at those expiration dates and say, why would you even keep it around? It's still good. 
We should do the same with God's word. We should strive after knowing and understanding it so that we know the truth when it is spoken to us. It is not enough to just hear words. We must know the truth of God's word. Paul admonishes us. Peter admonishes us to understand that it is what will quench the desires of our heart and mind. Holiness and godly love for fellow believers may only be accomplished by the gospel, God's word, that changes hearts. The call to holiness is all about the completed work of redemption through Jesus Christ. The Father calls a people to himself and commands them to be holy, for I am holy, setting apart his people as he is set apart, even to salvation. Peter tells us that the holiness of redeemed believers can only be drawn to God by the work of Jesus Christ and through Christ himself. Our ransom payment was made by him with his blood, which has the power to change lives, the work of sanctification. Jesus himself, through the power of the Spirit, produces holiness in believers. Holiness will be seen and experienced through love for one another. True love for each other will only be possible by the heart-changing power, truth, and everlasting word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we see that your charge to us clearly is to us to be holy. To see the Father that has drawn us out of our darkness, out of our separation from you, called us to yourself, Lord, that we would put on the very nature of you. We ask that your Holy Spirit would lead and direct us. We would ask that the power of your word would continue to refine us. We would ask that we would humbly see that through the work of your Son on the cross, your grace is so great that we must be amazed that you would Shed your blood for the chief of sinners. Lord, I pray that we continue as we look at Peter, your servant, that we understand again that we are those exiles today. Maybe in this country, Lord, we as Christians, true Christians, those that are called out, that are set apart that continue to seek you with with all that we are. Lord, we might be that minority, but I pray that that does not stop us for leading a life, for having a heart that is pure, that would bring honor and glory to you among all that we come in contact with. We know this can only be done when we continue to ask the presence of your word in our hearts and lives. And I pray this in the name of Christ himself. Amen.